we continue our series today in the Gospel of John, and, and how apt that on a day when we have just uh, baptized Zach Thompson and welcomed him into the church family, that we have a passage about John the Baptist and him baptizing people and pointing people to Jesus Christ. I'd love to tell you that I planned it like that. I didn't. But um, really pleased it's turned out like this because of its relevance, of its message for us today. If you just glance back down at verse 34, the final verse of our reading, and the concluding statement of John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus Christ. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, I don't know if this concept of a chosen one resonates with you at all. It is very popular in books and films. King Arthur, the chosen one, Excalibur in hand, returning in Britain's time of need. Remember the Matrix, Neo, are you the one? Lego movie, the special... You're the one the prophecy spoke about. Star Wars, one who will bring balance to the force. Lord of the Rings, listen to this. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be the blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. The chosen. Does this resonate with you at all? Yes? No? Not really? I was, I was reading an article in The Spectator the other week by Kate Andrews entitled Broken Britain, What Went Wrong? So this is just after the news hit about the concrete crisis, the school closures, remember that? She said this. The school roofs issue could be regarded as urgent yet manageable. But to a lot of the public, it seems as if the country is falling apart. The NHS is shambolic. Its waiting list now includes 13% of England's adult population. The sewage system is inadequate, with rivers and coastlines full of effluents, Trains are expensive and overcrowded. Airports descend into chaos at the slightest glitch in air traffic control software. And a recent poll by Lord Ashcroft found that even 58% of 2019 Tory voters who actually voted for this government agreed with the statement, Britain is broken, people are getting poorer, nothing seems to work properly. Now look, I don't know if you come this morning and you agree with that assessment or not. But is it not the case when things are going wrong in the world around us, in this country, in our own lives, when it seems that things are broken, that this idea and this concept of a chosen one, this individual who can save the world, put things right again, doesn't that become more appealing, more attractive? Wouldn't it be great if we could have a chosen one who could fix our broken friendships, our broken marriages, our broken families, our broken Britain? Give us unity across diversity. Give us real hope for the future, not just in life, in death itself. And in our passage today, with the witness of John the Baptist, he's saying, look, this is not make-believe. This is just not popular culture in books and films. The chosen one's here, and I want to introduce you to him. So come with me now to the passage. We're going to see three things from the ministry of John the Baptist specifically for us today. And the first is this, that in verses 19 to 23, John the Baptist prepares people for God's chosen one. John the Baptist prepares God's people for his chosen one. Did you think it was a little bit odd in the way this reading started, the way John the Baptist keeps answering in the negative and saying who he is not? So he's asked the question in verse 19, who are you? He says, I'm not the Messiah. It's a little bit weird. 
Verse 20, who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? I'm not. Three times in the negative. If you ask me after the service, you know, who are you? I would, I would say, I'm Mark. Now, perhaps I'd say, I'm the vicar. If you ask me, who are you? I wouldn't say I'm not the prime minister. Well, what's that got to do with anything? I don't the only reason, possibly, I'd say, like, I'm not the prime minister, is if you were expecting the prime minister, if you were looking, you know, for the right, and I said, no, it's not me, and I get the focus off me and onto them. This is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. He's wanting to get the focus off himself and onto another, onto God's chosen one, onto the Messiah, and wants people to look and expect and get excited for him. Now, you can almost hear the frustration in the religious leaders' voices in verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And now, in verse 23, John the Baptist tells us who he is. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, very famous section of the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah as everything's going to get turned around. And before the Messiah comes, before his arrival, there'll be a voice calling in the wilderness, getting people ready for him. And John the Baptist saying, I'm that voice. I'm the one who will point you to the Messiah. I'm the one who will show you to him and prepare people for him. That phrase, make straight, was originally used for making a road straight and level for the arrival of a royal king in their chariot and to clear all obstacles and to get ready and prepared, straightening everything out for him. And John the Baptist saying, that's what I'm going to do for you. You need to get your life straightened out if you're going to see and receive and know who God's chosen one it is. And so if and when we do think about a chosen one, if and when we do think about someone coming to save the world, I wonder if we tend to think, you know, he's going to sort all the problems out there. He's going to sort, you know, world poverty out there. And yet, do you ever think about the greed and selfishness in our own hearts that leads to a lot of that poverty? Chosen one come to get end all war and conflict out there. And yet, what about all the envy and anger and conflict that's going on inside ourselves that we bring into the world as well? He longed for a chosen one who perhaps will put an end to all sexual exploitation, oppressive workplaces, but what about our own lust and domineering attitudes that come out and cause other people so much hurt and pain? So yes, chosen one. Yes, one to save the world. But are we ready for what he wants to fix that is broken in us. John the Baptist prepares people for God's chosen one. Secondly, in verses 24 to 34, John the Baptist also identifies for us who God's chosen one is. Now, I know there's that joke in Sunday school that the answer to every question is five letters beginning with J. Jesus! But no, did you notice in this reading how no one recognizes who God's chosen one is, not at first. So the Pharisees, they're completely ignorant. The Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the day. They're the one who are looking forward to the chosen one. They're the one who had all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, and yet they haven't got a clue. In verse 24, they ask John, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replies, 
but among you stands one you do not know. So the chosen one is there, right then. He's waiting to be baptized by John, and no one's, no one's got a scooby-doo about it. Not even John the Baptist himself recognizes God's chosen one. Just flick over to verse 31. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, hang on a second. How can John the Baptist reveal God's chosen one to Israel and point to it if he himself doesn't know who he is? Verse 33, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me, God the Father, to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is only by divine revelation from God the Father who said to John, you will see the Spirit descend on him in a dove. And John the Baptist sees the Spirit descend on him in a dove. That is the only way he can say, I have seen and testify that this man, Jesus Christ, is God's chosen one. Now at this point you might say, all right Mark, what's the relevance of all this for us today? Let me tell you. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wish I could have been back then when Jesus was alive. I wish I could have actually seen him in the flesh. Then I'd have a much better idea whether he is really the chosen one or not. Then my faith in him would be a lot stronger today. Then I'd have so many less doubts and less skepticism about it all. Do you ever think that? Not so fast. The religious leaders of the time did not recognize him. John the Baptist himself did not recognize him. The only way anyone recognizes who Jesus Christ is is by divine revelation. And this divine revelation has been written down for us and preserved for us today so that we don't need to go back there. We are not missing out. We have everything we need today here in John's gospel to know and believe and have confidence that Jesus Christ truly is God's chosen one. It's been really puzzling me the last few weeks why the author John, not John the Baptist, why the author John keeps referencing John the Baptist at the start of his gospel. I don't know if you've been thinking about this, but this is what I've been thinking about in my study you know, these last few weeks. Why after verses 1 to 5 and this explosive start to the gospel, it before the creation of time with this all-divine, all-personal, all-creating, life-giving, indestructible word of God, we suddenly get in verse 5 of chapter 1, there was a, a, verse 6, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. Like, what? That's a bit of a change of scene. And then last week, we saw verse 14, the word became flesh, this incredible statement that God was born into the world 2,000 years ago. And then you get, in verse 15, in brackets, John testified concerning him. Don't forget about John the Baptist. And now this week, in verses 19 to 34, you get all of this material on John the Baptist. At the start. Like, why is he so important? And I think it is this. This gospel is not taking place once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. This gospel is taking place at a particular moment in history. In a particular place, just the other side of the Jordan, involving real, historical, particular people like John the Baptist who were there on the ground, who saw everything that happened and who have written it down for us today so that we can believe and trust that Jesus Christ is God's chosen one. 
I mean, even today, with all our technological advances, video calling, instant messages, you and I, we're still unsure exactly what's going on right in Ukraine at the moment and the war with Russia. And who is on top and who is winning and who is gaining ground and who is losing ground. And with CGI and our deepfake imagery, it is so hard to know for sure what is real and what is not, which videos to trust and who to listen to and these competing narratives. And even today, the most reliable, most helpful way of knowing what's going on is actually listening to people who are there on the ground who are seeing it. Perhaps people we know. So we can know what's really going on. That is who John the Baptist is for us. He was there on the ground. He saw it all. He witnessed it. He's written it down. You say, how can we trust this? How has, it, has it been passed down accurately? Has it been twisted and changed by the church over years? Listen to these words from Sir Frederick Kenyon, director and principal librarian of the British Museum. The interval then between the dates of composition of the New Testament and the earliest surviving evidence becomes so small as to be in fact negligible. And the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament, including the Gospel of John, may be regarded as finally established. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen son, his chosen one. So John the Baptist prepares people for God's chosen one. John the Baptist identifies for us God's chosen one. And the third and final thing for us to see from this passage is that John the Baptist foretells the mission of God's chosen one and what he has come to do for us. Two parts to this. We'll focus on the first. First, he will deal with sin. So take a look at verse 29. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now notice what this verse doesn't say. This verse does not say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the poverty of the world. Jesus actually said in the Gospels, the poor you'll always have with you. Nor does this verse say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away all the wars of the world. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus said, you'll always have wars and stories of wars among you. No, what John the Baptist says is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because first and foremost, that is humanity's greatest need. For your and my sins to be forgiven and for our relationship with God to be restored. What is the point of God fixing the world if there's no one there to enjoy it with him? Now, I know sin, the concept of sin today is seen as a repressive, religious relic of a bygone area. People want to be completely free to do whatever they want to do in a way that's an authentic expression of themselves. But whenever we go against God's good design for our lives and our world, as revealed to us in the scriptures, it never turns out well for us. 
In fact, what many people don't realize is that all the present sorrows and brokenness we see in the world around us today, all of it ultimately, in some way, finds its source in human sin. Be it our sin, someone else's sin, or the sin of those who have come before us. It is human sin which leads to broken friendships, broken families, broken communities, broken Britain. It is human sin which leads to all the wars and conflicts we see today. But far more seriously, it is human sin which breaks our relationship with God. The one through whom is the very meaning of life, the one in whom is the source of all goodness and leaves us facing an eternity without him. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. Nothing we can do to deal with our sin. We can't straighten our lives out by ourselves. And now John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, because Jesus Christ can do this for us and wants to do this for us. The Lamb of God, if you don't know, refers back to the Exodus. This is where God's people were trapped in slavery in Egypt and God rescued them through a sacrificial lamb, a lamb that you would kill and you would shed its blood around the door frames of the post of your house when God's angel of judgment came through the land to judge the sin of the people. Where there was the blood shed on your house, God's angel of judgment would pass over. And you could know you were forgiven. And you could know your relationship with God was safe and secure and restored. And this is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the Passover lamb, the ultimate lamb, the one which all the sacrificial system pointed towards. The one who has sacrificed himself for us, willingly, lovingly, so that God's judgment at our sin passes over us. He's done that for you. Don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Deepest Breath. Have you seen this? It came out a few months ago. A few nods. It's about the world of free diving. Incredible sport. In free diving, do you know you have this free diving buddy who stays towards the surface of the water? So as you are diving down, you're holding your breath, going all down. As you're coming back up, you have a free diving buddy who's there in case you don't make it back in time. And they sort of grab you and swim you back up to the surface so that you then get the air you need or or mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And this documentary is about Alicia Sacchini from Italy, her free-diving buddy Stephen Keenan from Ireland. He trains her and helps her to break the women's world record. Incredible thing to see. And then after that, she attempts the notoriously difficult and very famous Blue Hole Arch Dive off the coast of Egypt. It is 56 metres down. It is 26 metres across in a tunnel, and then 56 metres up again. And you can't see very well in the tunnel. And a lot of people have been lost there because you, you, you can't see where you're going. And this is what happens to Alicia. She gets lost. So as Stephen Keenan, her freediving buddy, is coming down to see her out the hole, she's actually come out somewhere else. And he's frantically looking to try and find her. And he does see her, and he's swimming after her, and you don't know if he's going to get there in time, is he going to bring her up? They're both running out of breath. And the final shot of the documentary, because there's actually a cameraman down there who's filming it all, you see Stephen King holding her above his arms, pushing her up to the surface, making sure that she can get up and get out of the water and breathe just as he takes his final breath. And for the first time in the documentary, it then cuts to Alicia, who's speaking to camera. You don't know if she's made it or not. And she says this, he is my hero. I dedicate every record to him. I will never forget what he did for me. 
He sacrificed himself for me. And you watch the film and you just think, oh my goodness. Like what a guy, what a man. Someone to do this for someone else. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has done this for you. John the Baptist wants you to know that Jesus Christ has done this for you. He has sacrificed himself for you. He has died so that you can live, so you can have your sins forgiven, so you can have your relationship with God restored, so you can have hope, but not just in life now, but forevermore. This is who Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Such is his love for us. Not just that, Jesus also is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 33, very briefly here. I have seen, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. We'll see more of this in chapter three. You can read more about this in chapters 13 to 17 later if you would like. But Jesus promises his presence with us all the time by his Holy Spirit. Alicia never got to see her friend Stephen King again. But Jesus Christ did not remain dead. He rose, he ascended, and he poured out his spirit on the church so that we can have, if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, that his very presence with us all the time, dwelling in us, his love, his forgiveness, his power to live different lives, to heal friendships and marriages and families, to be more productive workers, to play our part in a better future and a better world. He forgives us our sin, he baptizes us with the Spirit. He does everything we need. He is God's chosen one. So Pete and Elisa, or Pete, I think she's out the back. And not just you guys, friends and family of Zach, church family, here is a call for us to make much of Jesus Christ because he is God's chosen one. God's chosen one is not Allah, it is not Buddha, it is not Donald Trump, it is not any other self-proclaimed Messiah. Let's make much of the one who John the Baptist uniquely bears witness to, Jesus Christ. And as we do that, let's reassure ourselves and each other and Zach of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who baptizes with the Spirit. We cannot atone for our sins ourselves. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot bring in the sort of future and world that we all long for. We can't do it, but there is one who can. Jesus Christ. God's chosen one. So let's trust in him if we haven't yet. Let's continue to follow him if we have. And let's point others to him. Let's take the focus and attention off ourselves and onto Jesus Christ, God's chosen one. Let me pray that for us all now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for all you're showing us in John's gospel and today. The testimony and witness of John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. So prepare, pray, Father, that you would help by your spirit us to prepare our hearts to receive him, for us to have confidence, not in our own sort of intellectual working it out, but in the testimony of scripture and your revelation through it to us, that Jesus Christ is your chosen one, that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who baptized with the spirit, and so please, wherever we're coming from today, please would you move us closer to him, give us a, more of a trust and a dependence in him, help us to go deeper in our relationship with him, and we ask it for Jesus' sake, amen.